The world tells us grace, grace, grace with this carefree definition that says anything goes. Today we will learn about how God is gracious and how important it is to use the Bible as our plumb line to follow it. When we water down God's word, we miss how powerful and magnificent his grace is. We miss how good and gracious Christ is and we turn the focus to ourselves. You're listening to Unshaken. I'm Julie Van Warmer, your host for today's episode. And I'm so glad that you're listening today. It's going to be a great episode. Today's episode is number 168, and it is called God is Gracious. Um, On and off over the next few months, we're going to be visiting some different attributes of God on the podcast. We're going to have them peppered in throughout the fall and uh, the winter. If you listened back um, a while, we chatted about gearing up for Bible study in August and That was a few weeks ago, and you might remember my guest, Wendy Folk, and I discussed the importance of focusing on God's attributes as we study the Bible. So we thought this would be a great opportunity on our podcast to just take some time here and there to talk about specific attributes of God. So these are what we're going to do today. We're going to start with our first one, and we're going to be focusing today on how God is gracious. So let me introduce you to my guest, and she's been on before, but my guest today is Jackie Long. Oh, thanks, Julie. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on. Um, we we discussed before we started recording that we're in, a, in our brand new studio, yes. which is really fun. And last time you and I recorded together, we recorded um, in my, we called it the plant room. Right. There's it, no plants in this room. No, there's, well, okay. One that's fake because <laughs> there's no windows. Um, but um, yeah, we recorded and we talked a lot in that episode. Um, that was all the way back in our second season. That's mm-hmm. when we had seasons. We don't do seasons anymore. We just episode every single week, right? The topic was books and what to read. So do you remember that? I do. It was a while ago. You'll be happy to know I did finally finish the Elizabeth Elliot book. Ooh. I was working my way through then. That was a very, very good book. Yeah. Yeah. But it is. it was thick. It was. It was like an yeah. inch inch thick. Yeah. It yeah. was a great book. Though. Yeah. Good. So, um, Jackie, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do all day. Yeah. Well, my husband, Jake, and I have been married eight years now, and he recently graduated from Christ the Words Pastor College okay. and passed his ordination exam this summer. Yay! Yay! I know. Uh, so we have four little ones, ages five, three, one, and four months, so they keep me busy all day. Yes, I bet they do. During the day, I get to take care of them, and we love visiting playgrounds and spending time helping Jake with his role at the church and spending time with people and friends. This was a question I'm going to ask you that isn't actually on our little list of questions for the day, and that is, have you been to the downtown Toledo Library? Oh, multiple times. Okay, good. We call it the Whale Library, because in the oh. children's section, there's this big whale that yeah. you can sit in to read yes. your books. Yes, I went yeah. to go to the Whale Library. Yes. I can hear my kids saying that, yeah. Um, that is a great library. I love libraries in general. And usually, at, uh, multiple vacations, it seems like we go, we like to camp. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like it rains. Mm-hmm. And I feel like many years we've ended up at a local library in some little town somewhere because we needed something to do with our kids. Yeah. But they usually have really cool things for kids to do. Oh, yeah. We love it. We're, yeah. I'm pretty sure the library that we go to has a special shelf just for us. They see our <laughs> van pulling up and they're like, here she comes. <laughs> okay. go. Here's your books. <laughs> right. Right. We pick them all out for Every you. Every time they say long, I'm like, yes. And they go, oh, you've got funny. a lot today. I said, yes. I know. <laughs> yeah. I When my kids were little and I was homeschooling, I remember one time requesting 82 books. 
<laughs> but you know what? They're free. That's great. Why that's not? Great. Yeah. yeah. Haven't yeah. lost one yet. So yeah. <laughs> that's right. Good for you. I did remember I lost a book. I'm just going to tell the story. And I was really upset because it was called Arthur's Underwear. So Arthur, the aardvark. And yep. I remember thinking, of all the books that we that I lost, couldn't it have been one that I actually wanted to keep? Right, right. You know? Yeah. I couldn't find it. We had to pay for it. Oh. You know, And it was one of those hardcovers, yep. so you had to pay the library restocking fee. Yep. And then, of course, maybe six months later, I found it underneath right. the bookshelf because that's how it works. Yeah. But we ended up keeping it. I don't know what <laughs> happened to it, but no one needs Arthur's Underwear. So, Okay. So since you came on and we talked last time actually about reading yep. all kinds of books yep. and what to read, what is a couple of things that you've been reading right now that might be helpful to our readers? Yeah, well, I've been making my way through the Bible in a year as oh. part of a reading plan with some women at church. It's actually our second year in a row during the plan, and we finish next week, which is <gasps> Yay. wild. Okay, I don't feel good about that, though. I like to start in January reading yes, the Bible, so little... how did that even happen? Well, since... Jake and I used to be in college ministry. We kind of just run on semesters oh, anyway, okay. so it feels kind of natural. Okay. It doesn't bother so me So it too doesn't much. bother you. Yeah. You yeah. actually are looking forward right. it's to... It's the fall. It's the start of a new okay. year. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I like yeah. that we can all be doing our own thing. That's okay. right. That's right. Yeah. So the idea of reading the Bible in a year was always intimidating to me, but then when I actually tried it, uh, I've just learned so much over the past two years, mm. and it's really been a blessing. Yeah. I always find there's like books that I didn't think I would like, but I actually found out that I actually thought they were interesting. Yeah. You know, and I learned, so. Yeah. And so then outside of that, we've been reading Fiends this summer. And to be honest, Julie, I never finished the George Whitfield biography I told you about last oh, time. Okay. So okay. I picked it up again <laughs> this summer, and I restarted it. I'm optimistic to finish it. Okay. Uh, it's a great right. book. It's encouraging, and I've learned a lot. Did you know that Ben Franklin estimated that when George Whitfield would preach outside, his voice was clear and audible to crowds of up to 10,000 people without a microphone? You are kidding. No. Wow. How is that? I mean, is it like how they were set? Were they like down in a cove, like in the Bible where Jesus would be by the water so it would All come off? All good questions. Okay. I'm not sure. <laughs> my, my mom used to say that my, I was loud enough that I could, well, my dad would say this. I was loud enough that when I lived in the city that I lived in, I lived about, you know, 30 miles away from my parents, that I could just open the do door and talk to him because I was so loud. <laughs> and the other day, driving in the car, so I feel like I could be a George Whitfield. Um, the other day, I was driving in the car, and I was reading my husband an article on my phone, and he looked at me. He's driving, and he looked over, and he goes, you know, I'm only like a foot and a half away from you. <laughs> I was like, oh, I think I'm being loud again. Okay, so one more book reading, though, question, yeah. um, because you are you are like one of the people I look to as a great reader, right? What about fiction? Do you, you know, I feel like fiction to me is like a, like, am I wasting my time? So does it have a place for a Christian to read fiction? I think it's funny that this can be kind of a, a hot yeah. button issue. Yes, you're it thinking, can. Should I mention the fiction book I'm reading? But I think it's most important for us to be consistent in reading God's word. Yeah. Which feels like a Sunday school answer, but hear me out. If we're able to be faithful and consistent in reading God's Word, then I think reading other books in our free time is fine, depending on the book. Mm. So I'm in a stage of life where I read a lot of books with my littles. Again, we have our whole library shelf. The most I've checked out, I think, is 50. Ooh, but I okay. think, yeah. I still have you beat, but okay. <laughs> you do, you do. I didn't, I'm not sure what the limit is. I don't know so, if there is. So if there's an 80, maybe we'll go for that at some point. Uh, so while we read a lot of nonfiction books with the kiddos, we read a lot of fiction. And the fiction books are helpful for encouraging their imaginations and introducing them to new places and words and who wouldn't love learning about courage from the adventures of a koala. <laughs> but like with anything in life, we have to use discernment. So I've read some really great enriching fiction books, and a lot 
probably a lot more that were not so good. Right. So don't trust the Amazon bestseller list for good books. I would ask godly women in your life for recommend recommendations on fiction books. Mm. And so do the things we read align with the things God says we should value, or are they full of careless words or topics that we know don't glorify God? Because mm. our free time's limited and valuable. So are we using right. it to build up our character and love for God, or are we using it as an escape from reality? So yeah, I think fiction can have a place in the life of a Christian, as long as we're using discernment and valuing first our time in the Bible. Yeah, I love that, that there's like a little bit of a order to yeah. it. And I think that's really good. I mean, I think that's true with a lot of things. Like that we can enjoy a hobby. Yeah. That's another one that, but a hobby can take over. Yeah. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, I've got to get back to this, you know, instead of doing the things we need to do or studying the word of, you know, of God or we don't get our Bible study done. So mm -hmm. because we've been working on our hobby or mm -hmm. we're reading our fiction book. Yeah. I think that's good. I, I do love with kids as my kids have grown older. I, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I think books, fiction books for children who are in their fourth grade, maybe through eighth grade, and even high school, can be great points of conversation. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure this is true for little ones, too. Um, you know, like a, a koala. You can have good conversations <laughs> about a koala, right? <laughs> but I'm thinking that there have been so many books that my kids and I have read out loud, um, and I'm not going to remember the name of it. What a bummer. Um, oh, This Side of the Mountain okay. on this very good book. And also um, The Sign of the Beaver. The Sign of the Beaver was one of my favorite books that I read with my kids out loud, and there were so many moral questions in that book. Mm. And I don't mean that they were highlighting it. It just made that you have good conversations with yeah. your kids about what what would God want this boy to do, you know, mm. that kind of thing. So anyway, I think books are good. So yeah. thank you. That's a, yeah. good, that's a good answer. It's, it's um, helpful to kind of like think through it sometimes because mm -hmm. it's easy for us to say no fiction. Yeah. But it can be okay. Yeah. Okay, so Jackie, today you're going to be sharing with us about this topic that God is gracious. Yes. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say about this. Um, I think it's really important that we take a look at all these attributes of God, and we're going to be studying and kind of reviewing many of them. Um, so Jackie, tell us a little bit about how God is gracious. All right, well, I'm actually going to start with a little bit of a story for you okay. to help illustrate my point. So. In the summer of 2018, a boys' soccer team and their coach became trapped while hiking in a cave in northern Thailand. Twelve boys, ages 11 to 16, and their 25-year-old coach had been hiking together in a cave when an unexpected storm with torrential rain hit the area. Water flooded into the cave, blocking their only exit and trapping them nearly three miles from the cave's entrance. I remember watching the news coverage as military operations and rescue teams from around the world worked together to devise a search and rescue plan. Without a rescue plan, the boys would die. The two-and-a-half-mile trail they had taken into the cave was full of water from floor to ceiling. They had no food with them. Even if they did have food, they were limited on oxygen in their cavern. The water blocking the exit passages made their cavern like an air bubble with a finite amount of oxygen. But even if they did somehow get food and oxygen, the approaching rains of monsoon season would soon flood the caves and drown them. They were helpless. They were as good as dead. There was nothing they could do to save themselves. They waited in that dark, silent cave day after day, hoping that someone would find them in time. They didn't realize it in the moment, but miles away at the mouth of the cave, a grand rescue plan was being organized. The rescue team composed of 10,000 people, military members, cave experts, medical personnel, and professional scuba divers from around the world had set up camp and were frantically racing against the clock to save them before the next rainstorm. They decided they would send scuba divers through the pitch-black, flooded miles of cavern to look for them. 
This was extremely dangerous. It would require diving for multiple hours at a time through dark tunnels of water with a limited amount of oxygen. With one wrong turn, a diver could easily get lost in the flooded labyrinth and run out of air. But they were willing to risk their own lives to save the lives of these boys they had never even met. The divers entered into the cold cave and charted their way through the caverns. First, they had to place guidelines and chart accurate maps so the divers wouldn't get lost. They only had a few hours of oxygen in their tank. They couldn't afford even one wrong turn. Then, they began to systematically search every cavern and flooded tunnel in the cave. They rotated divers to give them rest and meals in between their hours-long dives. Cavern after cavern and tunnel after tunnel returned no sign of the missing boys, yet the rescuers persevered on. Miraculously, 10 days after the boys had gone missing, divers surfaced in one of the flooded caverns to see 13 pairs of eyes looking back at them in disbelief. The boys and their coach had been found. They were cold, filthy, and weak, but they were still alive. The hardest work, however, was still to come. What ensued was a high-stakes, intense removal rescue operation. The boys could not be removed all at once. It would need to be one at a time. The boys had no scuba gear. It would need to be swam into them. They had no scuba experience. They would need a diver's expertise. The length, risk, and difficulty of the three-hour dive out of the cave meant the boys would need to be sedated to prevent them from panicking or using up the oxygen tank too quickly. So over the course of several days, each of the boys was individually sedated, suited in an oxygen mask, and tethered to a scuba diver. Doctors trained them in how to give each boy an injectable sedative, and the scuba diver would have to surface in various air bubbles in the cave to resedate the boy they were carrying. If the boy woke up during the rescue dive, he could panic and sink both himself and the diver. If the boy was too sedated during the dive, his airway could close and cause him to die from lack of oxygen. Amazingly, all 12 boys and their coach survived the ordeal. Now, it's hard for me to imagine being one of the 13 trapped in that cave with no hope of survival, patiently waiting for death. Can you imagine what it would be like to go 10 days in darkness and then see the light of that diver growing brighter in the black water until your rescuer emerged from the darkness? How would surviving such an ordeal impact your life? How would you be changed forever? You and I have experienced a rescue. It's a rescue more miraculous than even being trapped in a flooded cave. Colossians 1.13 says, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Before Christ, you and I had no hope. We were like those boys stuck in a cave, staring death in the face. We were dead in our trespasses, and there was nothing we could do about it. There was no way to rescue ourselves. It would be like trying to hold our breath and swim through three miles of underwater cave. Completely impossible. Ephesians 2 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace we have been saved through faith, and not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Christ saved us from certain death, rescued us from the cave of sin and death. It is a gift of grace, not our own works. Yes, we, like those 12 Thai boys, have experienced an incredible, life-saving rescue operation, and it should change everything about us. But sometimes it doesn't. It is by grace we have been saved, yet sometimes we forget this. We hear the word grace so much that I think we often forget what it actually means. We forget the weight of what God's grace means for our lives. 
Sometimes we fall into cheap grace, where we focus so singularly on God's grace that we minimize many of his other attributes and the reality and danger of sin. We begin to elevate the attribute of God's grace above his other attributes and can forget that while God is gracious, he is also just, omnipotent, and so many other attributes. Cheap grace talks about grace so much that it becomes numb to what grace actually is and how it should impact our lives, and so our lives end up looking not much different than the world around us. And then sometimes we fall into the other side of the spectrum. We fall into legalism, where we rely on our own works for salvation and forgiveness. We rely on our own behavior for our righteousness. And although we may look pretty good on the outside, a legalistic heart lacks true repentance. It is by God's grace we have been saved through faith. It is by God's grace we have been rescued from the cave of sin and death. After such a rescue operation, our lives should look different. Now, as I've spent time digging through the Word and what it says about God's grace, there are two things in particular that have stood out to me concerning how His grace should impact how we live. And these are the two things I want to focus on during our time together. First, grace should bring about repentance. And second, grace should bring about obedience. All right, so first, grace should bring about repentance. Do you think lightly of the riches of God's kindness and tolerance and patience? Do you know that the kindness of God should lead us to repentance? These are the questions Paul asks in Romans 2.5 to those reading his letter. Repentance is acknowledging our sin before God and turning from it with the help of the Spirit. A repentant heart is critical in the life of a Christian. When we acknowledge how God has saved our souls through the gift of His Son, it should make us want to confess, repent, and turn from sin in our life. I remember in college watching a reality TV show that I really enjoyed. It had been a tradition to watch it every week with friends, and it became a weekly event I really looked forward to. But one week as we were watching, I began thinking about if what I was doing was honoring to God. There were pretty obvious themes, language, attire, and messages in this show that clearly went against things the Bible calls us to as godly women. I felt conflicted. I wondered, should I keep watching? Was this okay? And then I tried to justify to myself. Wasn't this show just for fun and to spend time with friends? Surely I wasn't really being that influenced or living like those people on the screen. Does God really care what I watch on TV? I was assured by myself and others that it wasn't a big deal. And even if it was sin, there's grace for that. Now, the Bible may not specifically talk about watching TV, but it does talk about dwelling on things that are honorable, pure, and lovely, and avoiding things that are immoral, impure, or full of passion, evil desire, and greed. And this TV show certainly included a lot of those things we are called to avoid. My attitude about watching this TV show was one of cheap grace. I was treating the grace and kindness of God lightly. I wanted to do what I enjoyed without having to give any thought as to whether or not it was sin. Because I knew I had forgiveness through Christ, I didn't want to have to look at all aspects of my life to see if there were things that needed to change. That's a lot of work. If it wasn't specifically mentioned in the Bible, I'd rather just rely on grace and not worry about if I was honoring God. But I knew this attitude was wrong. I knew it was abusing God's grace towards me. I confessed and repented, and in His kindness, God helped me to desire filling my time with things that honored Him. Maybe for you, it isn't a questionable TV show that causes you to cheapen God's grace. Or maybe it is, I don't know. But are there things in your life that you do that may not be inerrantly bad, yet you know don't honor God? Maybe books you read, songs you listen to, social media images that come across your feed— 
Could you ask God's blessing on the things you do during your day or in your free time, or would it feel a little shameful, a little slimy, to ask His blessing? Cheap grace leads to an unrepentant heart and apathy or even hopelessness towards sin. Cheap grace believes that God's grace is not powerful enough to truly change us. It tells us to just accept sin and trust that God will forgive us later. Giving up watching a questionable TV show may seem like a trivial example, but how many women do you know who live enslaved to anxiety, perpetual anger towards their children, bitterness, or same-sex attraction? They justify sin because they believe it's just who they are. They can't change, that their hormones or personality make this sin part of their identity. But this is a lie. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can fight sin in our lives. We can have hope that God will help us fight sin and that we don't have to forever be slaves to it. Don't believe the lie of cheap grace. When it comes to repentance, cheap grace tells us not to bother repenting because there's no hope for living a life that honors God. Cheap grace tells us our actions don't really matter. Legalism, on the other hand, tells us not to worry about repenting because we are the hope for living a life that honors God. Have you ever been in a cycle with a particular sin that you feel like you just can't break? Maybe you're a single woman in a relationship that is in a cycle of sexual sin. Maybe you're a mother who feels like you are continually yelling at your kids. You sin, feel bad, and then commit to trying harder. Next time, you won't give in to temptation. Next time, you won't get mad at your children. But then next time comes, and it happens again, and the cycle continues. Sometimes we think if we just try harder, we will be free from a certain sin. But in all of our efforts, and even in our good intentions, we neglect to ask God to change our hearts. We neglect to repent and ask the Spirit to help change us, and instead rely on our own efforts to break the cycle of sin. The truth is, our hearts are deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Without Christ, we are dead in our trespasses. We cannot break the cycle of sin on our own. Let's go back to the boys in the Thailand cave. They could not escape the cave in their own effort. They needed a rescuer. No matter how hard they could have tried, it would have been impossible for them to rescue themselves. We cannot free ourselves from sin in our own efforts alone. We need Christ, our rescuer. We need the Spirit to help us as we fight sin. God's grace should lead us to repentance. Is repentance a consistent part of your life? Or is it just a Sunday during church thing? I need the reminder to be daily turning to God, repenting of my sin, and asking Him to help me live a life that glorifies Him. God's kindness leads us to repentance. It leads us to a changed life and heart. I wonder how the lives of those 12 boys in the Thai cave look different now. If I had to guess, I bet they don't go caving anymore. God has been unfathomably kind to rescue us from sin and death. Are there parts of your life that don't look different now than they did before you knew Christ? Both cheap grace and legalism lead to unrepentant hearts. Cheap grace leads us to be apathetic about obedience, so we begin to forget the importance of repenting. Legalism causes us to focus so much on what we do that we also begin to forget the importance of having a repentant heart. Because of the kindness and goodness of His grace towards us, our response should be a true, repentant heart. God sent Jesus, His only Son, to die on the cross for our sin. Through Christ's ultimate sacrifice, we can have forgiveness and eternal life with God. So, first we said, grace should bring about repentance. Next, and second, grace should bring about obedience. So, grace should bring about repentance, and grace should bring about obedience. We have received grace to bring about the obedience of our faith. And we see throughout the Bible, God calls us to obey Him. He gives us specific instruction in how to live godly lives. 
He tells us about the blessings that obedience brings and the curses that disobedience brings. But when cheap grace and legalism distort our view of God's grace, our view of obedience is also skewed. Cheap grace skews our view of obedience. Let me explain. Let's jump back to that cave in Thailand. When the rescue diver approached the first boy to help him prepare to leave the cave, he gave the boy specific instructions. Can you imagine if the boy had replied saying, No thanks, I don't want your help putting that oxygen mask on. Actually, I don't think I even really want to wear it at all. I don't like oxygen respirators, and I find them uncomfortable. I don't want to be strapped to you during this dive. That seems too restricting. That response would be ridiculous. But when we subscribe to cheap grace, this is our response to God. We cheapen His grace. We cheapen the importance of obedience. We start to view obedience as optional and fail to see how critical it is to honoring God. Now, I know this part of the analogy breaks down at a few levels, but my point is these boys knew who their rescuer was, and so they obeyed what they were asked to do, even when it didn't make sense, even when it was scary. They trusted their rescuer and were grateful for the life the rescuer gave them. They knew it was wise to not disobey or disregard the instructions of the rescuer. You better believe they hung on to his instruction like their lives depended on it. And for them, their lives really did depend on it. God calls us to obey Him, and He shows us in His Word exactly what this means. If my heart truly understood the incredible gift of being saved through His grace, my actions and heart should follow. My heart should be bothered by sin. I should desire to obey Him in thought, word, and deed. Grace brings about obedience. Cheap grace is an attitude of not caring whether or not we obey. Legalism, on the other hand, is an attitude of putting our hope in obedience instead of Christ. Here's another example for you. When my husband and I were newly married, we were working together in campus ministry at a local university. We spent many of our days on campus sharing the gospel and meeting with both Christian and non-Christian students. When talking about the gospel with students, I often would ask them this question, where do you think you will go when you die and why? Interesting enough, there were a lot of similarities between Christians and non-Christians when they answered this question. Both types of people gave answers rooted in works. Non-Christians would typically say something like, I think I'd go to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. At least I haven't killed anybody and I try to do my best. Christians, on the other hand, would often say something like, I think I'd go to heaven because I was baptized when I was little and I go to church. Many Christian students found righteousness in the amount of mission trips they went on, how many people they shared the gospel with, and how well they knew the Bible. And if I'm honest, there have been times when I too have relied on my obedience over the work of Christ— Times where I diminish God's grace and look to my deeds for hope. That I'm, I think I'm right with God because I shared the gospel today, didn't yell at my kids today, wrote my husband an encouraging note today, read my Bible today. The list could probably keep going. Maybe you can relate. Now, doing things God has called us to do is good. It is good to share the gospel, to be patient with our children, to encourage others, and to read our Bible. These are good things that God has called us to do in His Word. But they become legalism when we look to these good things for righteousness. They become legalism when we do good things, but our hearts are unrepentant. If I were to ask you, like I used to ask those college students, where do you think you'll go when you die and why? How would you reply? For the Christian, we can have confidence that when we die, we will be with Christ in glory. Not because of the good things we did or the number of times we went to church or because we were baptized and said a prayer, but because God has saved us by grace through faith. We have been saved by grace, not by our own works, so that none might boast. 
our obedience to Him is a reflection of our changed hearts, not a means of salvation. So, to summarize the relationship between grace and obedience, finding peace through God's grace is a good thing. Doing things that glorify God, working heartily to obey Him, is a good thing. But these things must be tied together. If we relish His grace but don't obey His word, we've cheapened His grace. If we obey Him but have unrepentant hearts, we are putting our hope in our obedience and actions over the work of Christ. We're legalistic. In order to obey God's word, we most importantly need His Spirit. God gives us His Spirit to help us obey His word, which also means we need to know God's word. When you think about your relationship with the Bible, how well do you feel you know what it says? It is a living and active word that we will always be learning new things from, but it is so easy to not spend intentional time learning what it says. Responding to God's grace through our obedience will be very hard if we don't know how He calls us to obey. Let's treasure God's Word. And as we treasure God's Word and diligently seek to learn it, it can be helpful to be aware of how we lean towards cheap grace or legalism and how this might impact how we read the Bible. For example, let's say you sit down one morning in your comfy Bible reading spot in your home. You've got a cup of hot coffee in one hand and you're ready to start your day. It's warm and cozy, but then you come across a verse that makes you stop in your tracks. Matthew 5:48, which says, "Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." Hmm. Perfect. Perfect? What do I do with that? It's a hard verse, one that tends to make people a little uncomfortable. And so we have a choice to make. Will we engage with the hard truths in God's word or will we turn to cheap grace and legalism to help us deal with a verse like this? Here's how cheap grace deals with Matthew 5:48. Cheap grace reads, "Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect," and says, "Perfect? Perfect? Perfect? No, it can't mean that. It must be a mistake or a cultural issue or a translation issue. Yes, a translation issue." Do you know what happened when I typed in Matthew 5:48 into Google? I found article after article and blog post after blog post about why Jesus could not possibly have meant to use the word perfect in this verse. The Christian authors of these articles and posted all kinds of linguistic gymnastics to soften this verse. They desperately wanted to soften it into something that felt more achievable. They thought, "No, I can't be perfect, but I can be whole or mature. Yes, this verse doesn't mean perfect, it means mature. Jesus wants us to be mature Christians. Cheap grace sees a verse like Matthew 5:48 and says there is no way I can be perfect. And they're right, we are sinful. And yet this verse says be perfect. How is this possible? In our own efforts, it's not. We cannot make ourselves perfect before God. We need his grace. We need the gift of Christ, the one who was and is perfect. Through him alone can we have forgiveness and righteousness through Christ. Cheap Grace looks at Matthew 5:48 and finds a way to change the meaning of perfect. But changing our views of God's expectations for obedience doesn't change his expectations. Watering down or redefining what God's word says about men and women, anxiety, forgiveness, anger, or obedience does not change what God's word actually says on these things. When we water down God's word, we miss how powerful and magnificent his grace is. We miss how good and gracious Christ is and we turn the focus to ourselves. When we water down the word, we cheapen God's grace. The reality is that if God actually means to be perfect, there are things in my life that would need to change. It means I would need to give up things, maybe like a reality TV show that I actually really enjoy. I don't want to give it up. My heart doesn't want to give it up. 
It's so easy to rest in the fact that I can't be perfect, so why try? Instead of resting in the power of God to change my heart and change my life to better glorify Him. I do not have the power to change my own heart. Instead of cheapening and lessening God's expectations, I must ask and trust Him to change my heart, to obey what He calls me to do. I will not do it on my own. I need Him. I need His grace. Legalism, on the other hand, reads verses like Matthew 5.48 and responds thinking, God calls me to be perfect, so I will be perfect. I can do this. Legalism puts the emphasis on the I. It misses that perfect obedience cannot be achieved in our own power. Legalism is kind of sneaky because it can be kind of hard to identify. On the outside, it can look like true obedience. It may look like someone who really does seem to be trying to obey God perfectly. For example, a person can read the Bible daily, go on mission trips, and attend church every Sunday, and yet not know the grace of God. A person can share the gospel, work in full-time ministry, and be involved in social justice causes and yet not know the grace of God. A person can have many children, memorize scripture, and be hospitable with their home and yet not know the grace of God. Legalism has outward deeds but no inward change. It has the appearance of obedience but a heart that lacks repentance. Obeying God and living how He calls us to live is a good thing. Contrary to cultural belief, obedience is not a bad word and it's not a bad thing. Obedience is not legalism. Obedience without a repentant heart is legalism. Real obedience has outward actions and a repentant heart. So to close our time, let's review. Both cheap grace and legalism lack repentant hearts. Both believe grace can be earned through our own actions. Both lack repentant hearts because both lack an acknowledgement that grace comes through Christ alone. Cheap grace tolerates and excuses sin, is apathetic towards God's kindness, tolerance, and patience, and can lead to a lack of repentance. It waters down God's expectations to something we can achieve on our own. Legalism puts hope in obedience instead of Christ alone, and puts trust in ourselves and our actions. It proudly thinks forgiveness and salvation can be earned. If we're honest with ourselves, we can probably all identify areas in our lives where we lean towards cheap grace and other areas where we lean towards legalism. Where in your life are you operating under cheap grace? How can you tell? Ask yourself, am I free from sin? Is there change in my life? When we identify ourselves by our sin, we are embracing cheap grace. When we embrace depression, anxiety, bitterness, unforgiveness, we are embracing cheap grace. God's grace through Christ is powerful enough to not only forgive every sin, but to change our hearts as well. Do you trust God to help you turn from sin? Or do you accept certain sins as just a part of who you will always be? You have been saved by grace through faith. We are no longer slaves to sin. There is hope in Christ. Where in your life are you operating under legalism, and how can you tell? Ask yourself, is my heart repentant? Do you ask God to help you turn from your sin? Is repenting more than just a Sunday thing for you? Am I trying to turn from my sin by just doing better, or do I look to the Spirit for help? God is gracious. When we develop a biblical understanding of God's grace, it will lead us to repentance, obedience, and humility. It will cause us to praise Him and glorify Him. We've done nothing to deserve the grace He gives us. Praise God. In July 2018, 12 boys and their coach were miraculously rescued from a flooded cave of certain death, and it changed their lives forever. Through the grace of God, we have been rescued from darkness and transferred to the kingdom of Christ. It is by God's grace we have been saved through faith. 
This truth has likewise changed our lives forever, even into eternity. Wow, Jackie. You have given us quite a journey that you took us on, thinking about all the different sides of what we might view grace as. That's interesting. I really had never thought about grace, like we heading toward the legalism end, as a way to like make ourselves feel like that's better. Mm-hmm. Or the other side, you know, like this free and open side that's interesting, and it's good to think through all of that. Okay, so Jackie, I really love stories, and I love the beginning story. I hope they have a book about it, because I would totally read a story about those boys who ended up in the cave. But I like how you brought out that that's actually where we are, mm. that we're in that cave of, you know, of sin and death. We need to be careful that we don't live down in that cave, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that we need to have repentance, and then we need to follow up with obedience. Mm-hmm. And our world doesn't really like obedience. No, neither for some do reason. I. Neither and, do my, and I don't either. Neither do yeah. children either. Right. It's, it's in our hearts. But it is really important to think about because it's easy. Our world kind of has this idea like put grace all over everything. Mm-hmm. And I think they've really, as you said, cheapened grace. And then it's interesting also how easily we fall into legalism in this same thing. There's really two completely different sides of the coin, Mm -hmm. but it's good to think through it. And I love your challenges to us. Um, At the end, you specifically gave us some specific challenges in regard to how we need to be thinking about ourselves. So, um, you know, what would be one or two practical applications that someone could go forth tomorrow and be thinking about how can I make sure that I'm not living in legalism and then how can I make sure that I'm not just having this like cheap grace? Mm-hmm. How do you live that every day? No, that's a really good question. I remember with the Pastors College Wives, every year we read a lecture by Spurgeon. And if you were to read it, you would see a lot of those themes that came out mm. in that talk. But okay. something that he talks about is can you ask God to bless whatever you are doing? And I remember that really striking me because it can be so easy to focus on what I am doing or not doing, that TV is all bad, fiction is all bad, or it's, right. it's all good, uh, nonfiction is all good. And taking time to look at, is what I am doing honoring to mm. God? Okay, that's a really good thing to, a question to ask ourselves. Like, I, I love how you brought out like TV, because I'm a girl who doesn't necessarily think TV is like all wrong. Mm-hmm. I like documentaries. I like nature Mm-hmm. videos you know like i know this sounds really I, dumb no I'm i love documentaries that's how i found that story my yeah. dad and i were yes. watching a historical documentary on this cave rescue yes. while i was writing this talk and i had felt so stuck on how i was going to talk about god's grace and i was just so into this documentary yeah. and really relating with these boys yeah. <laughs> and their lives in yeah. this dark and i realized that's me pit. yeah <laughs> but it's interesting um i love this it it really is very helpful to think through and I, and and i like how you asked that question that makes us think, you know, what in this is kind of like asking yourself, what, where am I being disobedient to God? Mm-hmm. Because I think we're going to find ourselves being disobedient often. I also like the idea, you brought this up, you didn't actually say this laid out, but you brought up this heavy, heavy concept of having God's word be a big, important part of your life. Mm-hmm. And we need to use that. If we don't use God's word, then that's really our plumb line, right? That's mm-hmm. really our, our guidebook, our map. So Jackie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. Would you pray for us today? Yeah, I'd love to. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all of the women who are listening. Would you bless them today? Help us all to see the ways 
that we fall into cheap grace and help us to see the ways that we all fall into legalism. And will you help us to relish the grace that you have given us Mm. through Christ alone? Help us to not rely on our own efforts and to not abuse the gifts you've given us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jackie. It's Tiny Tidbit time. A tiny tidbit is a small piece of information that can help you in a really big way. Today's Tiny Tidbit is brought to you from Jenny Pollock, and I'm excited because I think it has to do with some tricks of how we can do better (laughs) with our meal planning and prepping, right? Right. Yes. So I get really stressed at dinner time. Me too. It's (laughs) 4.30. It's coming. What's for dinner? I know I have a plan, but... Um, I have little ones at home and dinner time can get kind of chaotic when there's so many needs going on. So if I learned, if I prep ahead of time, which sounds really basic, it's really helpful. But what I like to do is make basically prep the entire meal ahead of time. That way at dinner time, I just assemble and cook. So that looks like I would cut up my meat, my vegetables or fruit and and season it and have that ready to go and to be cooked and make sauces and even measure out spices. It sounds silly, but having that spice ready to go just to yep. throw on your things yep. makes it so much easier. So then dinner time comes and we just assemble, we cook it, and I don't feel like I need to call carry out because I right. waited too long and procrastinated. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you've done that before. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately. Yeah. Yes. So, I have too. <laughs> yeah. So that's my little tidbit on cooking. Okay. Well, that is a really good idea because if you had little ones napping, you could prep it during nap time. Right. Yes. Or you could prep it early in the morning. Yes. Even yep. before your kids are up or like, you know, kids usually are pretty mellow in the early morning. They Maybe are. Not. Maybe yes. not all kids, but. I do find chopping vegetables in the morning makes the evening much more yes. simple. <laughs> right. I love it. Yeah, that's great. And then you can play um, Food Network TV show when you're putting this stuff because they always have everything prepped. True. <laughs> yes. And I thought about this. It makes it easier. You know, your little ones, if you have little ones, they want to help cook. Oh, yes. And you don't, it's hard to allow them when you're time constrained in the yes. evening. But yes, when you're, you're doing right. it ahead of time, they can come help you chop and it's not such a big deal because you're not yeah. rushing. And, and even, even in the afternoon at five or, you know, when you're making dinner, they can already dump in the pre-packaged or pre-measured item so fast and it's not like they have to measure the time Mm -hmm. you know they can do it i mean like spice time right yeah not the time (laughs) on the clock (laughs) all right wow that's good that's really good advice something easy to do but would help us in a big way so thanks jenny you're welcome Hey, thanks to all of you for listening today. Next week, we're going to jump into our ninth installment of Feminology. Our topic next week is bitterness and resentment. It's like a twofold. They're like sister sins, twin sister sins that can actually wreak havoc on our emotions if we are not aware and are not killing them. Join us for a really practical and honest episode focused on these topics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Unshaken, on your favorite podcast directory, and that way you'll get notification each and every Thursday when a new episode drops, and we do one every single week, which is really exciting. Also, you can reach out to me at unshakenpsalm622 at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you in regard to any topic or idea you may have about a podcast or any thoughts you have on one. Maybe maybe a podcast has helped you or encouraged you. Let me know that. I would love to hear it. 
You can follow or like us on our Instagram or Facebook at Women of the Word CTW. Such great content on this platform includes our planted blog and our guest today, Jackie, kind of organizes that and writes on it a lot, which is really great. So you want to read all of our planted blog. I think that comes out Wednesdays. Tuesdays. Tuesdays. Okay. (laughs) Gosh, I'm glad I asked. And our Regarding Him conference that comes out that we do yearly in March. We put all kinds of things about that. And of course, our, our episodes from the podcast get shared there so you'll know when they drop. Definitely go and follow or like that today. And remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time.